Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast. The times, they are a change in addition. Coming up, an in-depth conversation with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, as we discuss an unusually active offseason for the Bengals. Lapp will tell us how good he thinks left tackle Cordy Glenn is, why he considers Preston Brown to be one of the biggest steals in free agency, and why he was right and I was wrong when it comes to Tyler Eifert. Plus, as a former offensive lineman, Lapp will explain how a Frank Pollock-coached O-line is likely to be different from a Paul Alexander-coached O-line. We'll hit those topics and many more in a 30-minute conversation. And in a new edition of Fun Facts, we'll get to know new middle linebacker and Cincinnati native Preston Brown. Preston, by the way, is his middle name. His given name is Mike Brown. All of that is coming up. But first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. It's the greatest invention since the Raiden Suitcase. That's R-A-D-E-N. It has a built-in battery pack so that you can charge your devices at the airport or anywhere on the road. I am a big fan. All right. Time to discuss a highly productive offseason to date with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, the Bengals have been uncharacteristically aggressive this offseason, trading for a guy with a big contract like Cordy Glenn, signing free agents like Preston Brown in the prime of his career. Why do you think they're behaving this way? That's a good question, Dan. I guess only they can they can answer that. I'm glad to see it, though. Um, you know, when the season ended, wrote down some needs, left tackle, defensive tackle, linebacker, safety, center. And they've, they've addressed, you know, quite a few of them in free agency. So I guess um, uh, when a guy like Cordy Glenn became available, I think that was a big surprise to even them. You know, I, I don't think that – they anticipated a guy of that caliber um, being being available in a trade because, honestly, you know, looking at him when he's healthy, he's 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 upper crust. I mean, he's he's a good player, big body guy, long arms, can really move, and you know, you say, okay, hmm, big body guy, long arms, Cedric Wayhe. Well, what this guy has is a lot more ballast. He's got anchorability, you know, he's got the athleticism that you have to have to play left tackle, but he doesn't have the anchorability talk about uh you know straight a quarterback throw with accuracy and anticipation straight a tackle is athleticism and anchor ability and you gotta have both and you know I, everybody sees that cedric's deficient in that anchor ability aspect this guy's not when this guy sits that people don't move him he's you know he's a guy that will move people and people don't move him very easily so i, I think i think it's uh, you know knock on wood the health factor if, if he's 100 percent healthy they got themselves, you know, a special player at the left tackle position. That, that's big. He's 345 pounds, so he's big. Who benefits more, Andy Dalton or Joe Mixon? I think they both do, really. You know, I think that um, I think he's he's a very aggressive, uh, you know, blocker in the running game, and athletic can get to the next level. He can pull, he can run, he can do all the things that you need to have done. Um, you know, he's good in space. Uh, you know. I, in, obviously, with Andy Dalton's blind side, you know, being a big deal, 
Um, and I think sometimes that's even a little overrated now in today's NFL. I mean, you look at the last couple of Super Bowls, the plays that were made uh, to determine Super Bowl victories came right off the, the front side of a quarterback, you know, forcing fumbles and pressuring and causing uh, turnovers. So I, I think you have to be strong across the board in today's football in terms of protection. But I think they, they both benefit. And, um, you know, the other thing is um, – you, you, you mentioned Joe Mixon. Everybody's looking for the running back now that can not only run the football but catch it. You know, everybody wants that complete guy. They, you know, they want the, the the bell guy, the bell cow. You know, like Pittsburgh has. Well, Bengals have two. They have two. No, t- not many teams in the NFL can have a one show a one-two punch like the Bengals do with Joe Mixon and you know Giovanni Bernard. They both are excellent running the football between the tackles and outside. They both run routes like a receiver, and they both catch a ball like a receiver. So, I mean, there's a lot of benefit there. We know the Bengals' left tackle, Cordy Glenn. We know the left guard, Clint Bowling. Who's going to line up at the other three spots? What's your best guess? It's a great question. You know, I, the, the, the draft obviously hasn't taken place yet. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll address, you know, all those spots uh, in, in the draft. I know they'll address tackle and center in the draft. They have to. Um, you know, they'll, they can line up, though, you know, at, at the center position. Uh, Trey Hopkins could, could play that spot. T.J. Johnson would be the guy to line up at it right now. But Trey Hopkins with long arms. I mean, I look at Trey Hopkins, uh, Dwight Stevenson, the best center I ever saw play. One of the reasons, and Tim Crumry, who played against him, said that he was unbelievable. One of the big things, long arms. That, that big, long leverage uh, at, at the center position is, is huge. Something as simple as moving the ball out a little bit further because of those long arms and establishing a neutral zone that's bigger, mm. a short-arm center, all of a sudden you, you, you crowd the ball. You're right under, the, right under his, his face mask. You know, the center can at least give himself a little bit more space, even with the lineman getting over the football. Um, Pouncey, the Pouncey brothers are like that. A long-arm center, there's some advantages to, and there's advantages, you know, in leverage and pass protection and run blocking at the center position too. Dwight Stevenson was great with, you know, with that leverage, and I, I see Trey Hawkins is maybe doing, you know, some of that sort of thing with some of these um, centers that are long-armed, um, you know. But and T.J. Johnson is very, very smart. He can make every call there is to make. Uh, so, and then obviously there's there could be rookie candidates involved there and personally I'd line Redmond up at right guard and see what he can do because you talk about another guy that moves people and doesn't get moved a big deal now in today's NFL as we know Dan is that interior pass protection keeping giving the quarterback not only time but space quarterbacks hate people in their face I don't care who it is Tom Brady all the way down to whoever if if you can maintain a pocket that has some depth to it and give the quarterback space and time. And I think Redmond's that kind of guy. I don't think they'll bull rush him, and I think he'll move people inside. I'd, I'd kind of like to see how he would do out there. And honestly, I watched a little tape of Hart playing right tackle for the Giants. Before he got hurt, he was playing pretty darn well. Hmm. You know, he's another guy that's, that's that this guy's got some size to him, 6'5", 334 pounds. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a big guy. And um, obviously the Bengals thought a lot of him, and I, I would think Frank Pollock. Being in that division, you know, saw him play twice a year. So I'm sure he was probably A-OK with probably had a lot to do with the, with signing the kid. Let's talk about Frank Pollock before we move on to other topics from the offensive line. How will a Frank Pollock-coached offensive line look different from a Paul Alexander-coached offensive line? 
I think it'll be a lot more aggressive in terms of uh, capturing the line of scrimmage, you know, with, with both attitude and technique. Um, we, we witnessed it down in Dallas when we went down there, and they just they, they manhandled the Bengals I mean, inside, everywhere, inside, outside. I mean, there, there weren't holes. There were canyons, you know, to run through. And um, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, had a, had a big day. But it all started with what that offensive line was doing. And, um, you know, I was interested to watch them. You know, there's horizontal splits, and then there's vertical splits. You know, when you take a horizontal split, you'll change your splits depending on what the play is, try to influence the defensive player with a split. There's, you know, traditional two-foot split, three-foot split, garden center two-foot, three-foot between guard and tackle. Well, then you can get off the ball. You know, you can crowd the line of scrimmage. You can get back. You have to have your helmet at the numbers of the center when he's over the football. You can't get too far back or the officials will penalize you. When you, you, You'll hear every once in a while, uh, 77 wasn't on the line of scrimmage, wasn't close enough to the line of scrimmage. If the guard, you know, sets too far back and then the tackle sets further back from him, you can't set up like an umbrella. But if you all set up, you know, to the center's numbers, that's legal. And they would play with those vertical splits when they were double teaming to come downhill instead of sidestepping, drop stepping, and they would come downhill. They'd take a little bit of a, a deeper set at the line of scrimmage and, and even run plays. They'd line up off the ball a little bit more. So, I mean, I, I think we're going to see them attacking, um, you know, that line of scrimmage. It, and my philosophy is that way. I mean, you can't, you can't win the line of scrimmage. You can't capture it unless you attack it. I think we're going to see that. I think, uh, I think we're going to see tackles jumping, um, showing if they have the athleticism to do it, jump defensive ends and not set so deep and catch. You know, jump them and stymie them pretty quickly at the line of scrimmage. Anthony Munoz was as good as I've ever seen doing that. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. But there are there are guys in this football team in this locker room that that are capable of jumping people at the line of scrimmage. And I think we're going to see you know hopefully firmer pockets uh, for Andy Dalton and uh, and and that running game be a little bit more aggressive. All right, let's move on to middle linebacker Preston Brown, signed to a one-year deal for about five million bucks. He's 25 years old. Led the NFL in tackles last year. Played in 1,098 of 1,108 snaps for the Bills on defense, so he never came off the field. Honestly, I'm a little bit shocked he was available for a one-year deal. I'm stunned. I mean, to me, that that has to go into the category of one of the biggest deals of free agency. It really does. I mean, this guy's, what, 6'1", 6'1", 250 pounds plus, and can run. You know, he's on the field in the nickel and uh, dime sub packages. That's that's a remarkable uh, remarkable thing. I mean, you're on the field all those snaps. You are going to have a chance to lead the league in tackles, and he did. You know, 144 tackles. You know, sometimes tackles can be a little bit dicey. Some organizations give tackles if with, with in an arm and making the in the in the, in the pile of bodies. I can see him on the radio. <laughs> There's an assist. There's another assist. But say say 20 of those occurred. 124, 125 tackles, still amazing. But you're on the field with a lot of all those snaps. You can you can rack those up. And he he runs the field. I mean, he'll run it sideline to sideline. He'll come downhill, stuff the running game. He's uh, you know really good with his drops. I, he's he's a complete linebacker. And to get him for a one year deal for five million dollars, I think when all is said and done. When uh, the season starts, people are going to say, wow, that – and then as it unfolds and see the contribution I think he's going to make to this defense, I think it's going to be one of the major steals of free agency. I was stunned. 
A big deal when they made it, and then it got even bigger when we learned the, the news that Vontez Burfecht has his annual beginning of the season suspension, uh, PED related this time around, and unless uh, it's reduced, he's out for the first four games. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I know he's got an appeal, um, you know, that's going on. I, I know back in the day, and this is way back now, when Lyle Alzado and, and Howie Long were playing together with the Raiders in the NFL, I remember Howie Long mentioned to me that Lyle Alzado was trying to talk him into uh, using something to expedite his healing, you know, like between games or even in the off season, particularly after surgery. So, it's you know, guys take different things for different reasons. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what Vontez did, if anything, but, um, you know, sometimes guys think, all right, well, if I'm not playing, my season's over. I might want to try to heal up as fast as I can, get into a good workout routine and pattern. Sometimes mistakes can be made. I mean, who knows? Who knows what took place? But um, there's there's uh, stuff to, that needs to be reviewed by the league, and hopefully, uh, hopefully Vontez is a strong case. Uh, but those PED suspensions aren't overturned regularly. It has to be a very, very strong extenuating circumstance. So we'll see how it unfolds for Vontez. All right, on to Tyler Eifert next. Late in the season last year, I said to you, you know what, Lap? He's going to sign with the Rams. His buddy Whitworth is going to talk him to coming out to L.A. The weather will be nice. You're a good-looking cat. We'll get you TV ads and, and commercials and stuff like that. And you said, no, I don't think so. I think Tyler Eifert's the kind of kid, the way he was raised, that he's going to feel some loyalty for the Bengals for not being able to play very much the last couple of years. That's exactly the way it played out. Yeah, I mean, once the Bengals matched what the Rams and 49ers, and you know what was involved in that Rams deal, you know he had a, had an opinion and, and a voice in it. And the 49ers, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo having Tyler Eifert in the red zone and even as a security blanket, so you knew what they were thinking. Um, two young quarterbacks that are on the, on the uptick, you know, their graph is going up. Both organizations said Tyler Eifert is a scoring machine. I mean, the touchdown makers have value particularly red zone touchdown makers to the level that he is uh, able to produce. So uh, once all things being equal, um, Tyler Eifert did stay with the Bengals like I hoped he, he would think, and, uh, and his, his, it's incentive-laden. could be as much as $8 million, but it's going to be a, you know, at least $5 million. could creep up to eight, eight, a little over $8 million. And uh, it's going to, in my opinion, it's probably based on playing time alone. You know, I mean, if you get him out there, he's going to put numbers up. So the question is, you're going to get him out there. Mm-hmm. So if he's out there, he's going to put numbers up. Pay him. It's fair. It's a fair, fair deal for everybody, all sides involved. And he has a, a one-year show. Him. He's got to bet on himself. And hopefully the football gods cooperate. He stays healthy. And he puts up crazy numbers. I go into it thinking, all right, if he somehow played 16 games, fantastic. I'm not even going to hope for that. I'm going to hope he's healthy enough to play three quarters. Be on the field for 12 games. If he does, they'll be a very productive 12 games. I was thinking the same thing, Dan. I was thinking 12 to 14, you know, if he misses a couple. I mean, it, 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 they should. Tyler Croft has proven that, that he's capable. And the thing is, now with Tyler Croft's development, you have two tight ends that can produce in the red zone. I mean, a two tight end package, everybody, for a while there, that was the hot thing. You know, the Patriots had the two tight end set with, with Gronk and Hernandez, and, you know, then Baltimore tried to get it done. Two tight ends, it, it does a lot of things. It makes the defense even things up in terms of how they line up from a formation standpoint. You balance things, 
Uh, you can be balanced offensively. You make the defense balance themselves as a result of that. I mean, there's a lot of a lot, a lot of good reasons to have uh, a two tight end, two capable tight ends set available to you to, to mix into your uh, personnel groupings, and and the Bengals have that now. The Chris Baker signing isn't one that uh, has people doing cartwheels, but for a stretch of four years, I guess in Washington, he was highly productive. Got the big deal last year with Tampa Bay, three years on nearly $16 million, and uh, it didn't go well with the Bucks. So the Bengals get him on the cheap, one year, $3 million bucks. And if the coaches that he played for in Washington, Jim uh, Hazlitt and Jacob Burney, can get him back to the level that he played for with the Redskins, it could turn out to be a great move. No question. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's a big factor is he's got a relationship and he trusts. There's trust both ways. Not just player to coach, but coach to player as well. There's trust on all levels. Um, and, you know, you hear glowing, effusive praise back and forth when you hear Jim Haslett, Jacob Bernie, and Chris Baker all talk about each other. So you hope that that synergy is going to be big. The other thing, as a former player, you, make, you, you, you worked hard to get the big deal. You make the big deal, then you're humbled. What do you do? It didn't work out. It did, you know, you didn't get all the money. Okay, are you going to assume the fetal position and say, well, you know, that's it? Or are you going to have a bounce-back season, prove that, you know what, it, it, it didn't work in Tampa, but that's not me. I'm who you saw in Washington, and I'm not going to assume the fetal position. I'm going to bounce back and show everybody this is Chris Baker. So hopefully there's some of that going on in his mindset too as he, you know, gets ready in the off season and – I think it's going to be comforting to him as he attempts to have that bounce back year with familiar people that he had success with. I think that all adds up to potential success again. The Bengals signed a veteran backup quarterback candidate in Matt Barkley. I remember them having a second-round grade on him when he came out of USC. He turned out to be a fourth-round draft pick by the Eagles, but obviously he's the leader in the clubhouse right now to be Andy Dalton's replacement. They're hoping Jeff Driscoll comes back healthy after breaking his left arm. But the question is, after all of that, how high do they draft a quarterback with 11 picks? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, are they going to draft a quarterback that, that – um, if there's one that they maybe had as a second-round grade that's there in the fourth round, they may say, you know what, he's going by their board. This is a guy, how can we not take this guy? That's the best player available is this quarterback. Here we are in the fourth round. We had him as a, as a 2A in the early part of the second round. What about the third then? They've got two third-round picks. Could they even uh, take the plunge that early? They could. They could. Maybe the second, third-round pick, um, you know, potentially. Yeah, it all it all depends on how you know. There's going to be an early run on quarterbacks. There always is, and now they're saying that you know, in the first five picks could be four quarterbacks. Who knows? But there it could be uh, it could be interesting to watch that all unfold. But then, how far down will the next tier slide? You know, um, and, and will there be one that just falls for no real good reason other than you know everybody else's needs and, and uh, decisions made uh, prior? So yeah, I mean, I, I do think that they will. They will draft one. It's a question of how high. I think they'll be true to their board. I don't think they're going to reach for anybody at the quarterback position, but I think they'll be true to their board and, and see how it all pans out. Let's talk about some guys that aren't back, beginning with Russell Bodine. The Bengals apparently tried to sign him to a long-term deal. He elected to take a, a shorter deal with the Buffalo Bills, so he is essentially betting on himself. What did you make of the Bengals' interest? I think uh, – 
it was based on a lot of things that Marvin Lewis talked about, the biggest being the availability. He never missed a game. You know, he was durable. Um, and, uh, you know, availability and accountability are two big abilities to have in any position in the National Football League, and he, he provided that. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the one thing that every week you know as an offensive line coach or as an offensive coordinator, um, we don't have to worry at the center position. We got, we got Russell Bodine, and that gave him a, a certain level of comfort for sure. So uh, there's, you know, there's, there's that question. Whoever takes over the center position, will that guy take every snap for four years? Russell Bodine, you know, it's everybody has opinions on on players' level of play, no matter who the player is. There are Russell Bodine fans, Russell Bodine uh, people that weren't as happy with his play, but the one thing they all had to agree on: he played hurt, he played hard, he played every snap, and uh, there's something to be said for that. I think that's why they were thinking the way they were thinking. The Bengals did not pick up Adam Jones's option of $5.3 million bucks. They have publicly said they're interested in bringing him back for a, a cheaper price. What do you think the odds are of him being back? Again, um, we'll see how, you know, the draft goes. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I do think, obviously, they've got a, a, a role in mind for him as a returner and uh, as, as a sub-package corner um, if, in fact, he feels like, he's capable of more than that and there's a team out there that agrees you know that's probably where he'll go I'm not sure what the market um, is, is showing him right now uh, obviously he hasn't signed anywhere as of the time we're doing this podcast so I would think that if he were still available uh, it would have to be the, the right kind of a price I mean obviously it's going to be dramatically reduced I don't know if it's going to be NFL veteran minimum but it's going to be dramatically reduced from where he was and at that point in time, you know, decisions uh, are going to have to be made on, on both sides. All right, let's move on to the draft. With the Cordy Glenn deal, the Bengals moved from having the 12th pick in the first round down to the 21st pick in the first round. Do you think that that drastically changes uh, what they are likely to do? I guess by having Cordy Glenn, they're no longer really focused in on, okay, we've got to find ourselves a left tackle. Right, but if they, you know, if they they feel like the kid from Notre Dame, who's everybody feels like could be a decade long starter, McClinchy the tackle McClinchy, the or tackle. Nelson the guard. Oh, if Nelson's there, they jump in a heartbeat. <laughs> he won't be. Though. They'll do cartwheels. Yeah, if they, he, he should be long gone. If he's there, I mean, they better take him. <laughs> um, but if McClinchy's there, you know, now you got to think. Okay, well, would he? I think he's a right tackle. I don't think he's a left tackle. But I do, I do think he could play probably a decade at right tackle. Do you say, all right, well, at 21, let's, uh, let's draft him because this draft supposedly is you, you better go early in the tackle position. There's other options available in the interior alignment. Uh, it's, it's deeper for more rounds than it is in terms of excellence at the offensive tackle position, which is kind of the reverse of the norm a little bit. So, uh, you know, they make a decision there. If McGlinchey's on the board, um, if if one of the one of the three centers there's, there's three centers that everybody likes if one of them is gone is that center a better is he rated higher on, on the Bengals board than McGlinchey is as a tackle where is there a bigger need is there a bigger need at right tackle or at center uh, you got your left tackle you got your backup left tackle which I think that's what Cedric Obey is going to be is a backup left tackle I don't think they're going to mess with him at right tackle anymore I think they're going to say you're going to one position. You're going to work at that one position. 
and then let's see what happens. Maybe Frank Pollock can bring something out of him that Paul Alexander wasn't able to? And I'm thinking from a technique standpoint, he's a guy, he's, he's a jump candidate in my mind. He's a guy that's athletic enough to go jump people and separate and not give them a running start and try to catch them and absorb them. His body, you know, he can't take that, that bull rush. So, um, yeah, I mean, center, um, you know, if, if the Hernandez kid is there, people say maybe he could even play center or guard. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some options there. At 21, they could go offensive line. They might go safety. You know, they, they uh, had some serious conversations with Coleman before he signed with the Saints, I think it was. He took a big deal with the Saints. So they're obviously uh, not real happy uh, at this point, you know, with, with the ability to turn people over at the safety position. They want a playmaker back there. So is there a playmaker if, if one of the safeties that they have rated on their board as a top 10 is there at 21? They may jump at that safety. Uh, if one of the corners that they've got rated highly for some reason slides because of the quarterbacks or whatever the case may be, you know, they, they may go there again. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a corner slash safety that will play more safety than he does corner that they currently have on the roster. Um, you know, defensive tackle, do they go defensive tackle at 21? All depends on who it is. You know, if it's a guy, again, it's it's a guy at 21, uh, they're in a spot to, they're in a position that, that um, they can wait and see if somebody slides. Uh, you know, they may have more options available to them. They've traded down from 21 to 27 before to pick up additional picks. They already have 11. I'm not really sure they do that. How many do you need? But... I, th- I think the fact is they're really, really wide open at 21, even more wide open than they were at 12. You get an extra third for losing Kevin Zeitler, an extra fifth for losing Andrew Whitworth. They pick up a fifth in the Cordy Glenn deal and right. lose a sixth. They get a couple of extra sevenths. Uh, as we said, a total of 11 picks. Hard to keep them all, but in any case, you get a bunch of uh, potential talent. And uh, with between the roster and the, the practice squad, you've got a chance to add some good young uh, potential stars yeah you do I mean I think uh I think you know everybody's like you know fifth round having three fifth round picks there's value there you know and and who's to say that they may not bunch some of those and and move up you know I think I think there's more potential for that this year than trading back um I think that where where their picks are positioned I think they can they can package and and make a move up if they feel like Boy, this guy has slid to this point. I don't know how much more he's going to slide. We really like him. Let's go get him kind of thing, no matter what round it is. I mean, they've talked about doing that even in the fourth round, the last two drafts. They've talked about trading up for Bodine. they talked about trading up for Shaw. You know, Shaw's a guy that might play safety rather than he may play more safety than corner uh, this year. So there's, there's always guys that there's, there's good value in the fourth, fifth, and, and uh, sixth round. And the Bengals have uh, put their bat on the ball in those rounds very, very well as an organization led by Duke Tobin. All right, a couple more topics before we wrap this up. Uh, the next thing is the catch rule, which is being <laughs> fixed, I guess, is the best way to describe it by the NFL. Now it sounds like if you catch the ball, what we have historically thought of as a catch, and take a couple of running strides and then go to the ground and it trickles loose, that's a catch, as it should be. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think now – we're back to the old, if, if you're sitting in a bar and you're watching the game on, on a big screen TV and everybody looks at each other, that's a catch. I think the NFL is going to agree that, uh, that, that it's a catch. The interesting thing to me is, is, is going to be 
you know, I can remember in Baltimore on two occasions the Jermaine Gresham catch that was overturned, the Tyler Eifert catch that was overturned, both in Baltimore. My understanding is with this new rule, they're both catches. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that it's going to be closer to the same if a running back crosses the plane, it's a touchdown. And if he gets hit and loses control of the football after he breaks the plane, it's a touchdown. Sounds like that's going to be the same way in football. If he breaks the plane with control of the football, it's a catch. If he goes to the ground, loses or whatever, or even if he gets hit after taking a step or making a football move, you know, it's going to be a touchdown. I think that was one of the biggest um, uh, inequities or whatever in the rule book is for a run and a, and a touchdown catch, the goal line was two different things. <laughs> mm -hmm. For a run, the, the goal line basically ended it. All you had to do, the point of the football, the front tip of the football across the front tip of the goal line, touchdown, no matter what. Not so for a catch, a touchdown catch. Well, now it's back to the way it was, it sounds like. Butch Johnson, the crazy catch he made for the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, he catches the ball and as he's doing a somersault, loses control of it. What was the catch then? Wouldn't have been a catch in today's foot. Now it sounds like it might be a catch again. So they're going back to, uh, honestly, Dan, everything they've done in the past decade plus has been to spur more offense. People want to see 38-35. They don't want to see 10-7. Well, the catch, the catch rule started making it tougher to score points, started to affect the outcome of offenses. Fans want to see the big play. Fans want to see the big score. So I think that's why the NFL realized we better go back to the old way of the catch rule. Final question. Who has a bigger year next year? Buffalo Bills quarterback, A.J. McCarron, or New England Patriots running back, Jeremy Hill? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I, I think that uh, – I, I really think that A.J. McCarron is going to grab hold of an opportunity here. And I, they'll probably – Buffalo will take a quarterback very high. There's no question about that. But I do think that, that – uh, I think they're looking at A.J. McCarron as, as being the guy this year, you know, you know, in all probability. And I think that he'll, uh, he'll take a stranglehold of it. I really do. I think Jeremy is going to be in a rotation of uh, – it's interesting. Now Jeremy Hill goes to the New England Patriots. They just re-signed Rex Burkhead to a big contract. And Jeremy goes there for a bargain basement price of a million bucks for a year. So now they've flipped roles, basically. And I know, I know that, uh, that, that Coach Belichick loves him some Rex Burkhead. And it'll be interesting to see what he thinks of Jeremy Hill. So you got to think that Jeremy will be just – he won't be the bell cow. There's never really any bell cow in New England. It's usually a – Since Corey Dillon. Right. It's a, it's a combined effort, you know, and everybody's got their role. And it'd be interesting to see what the role that Jeremy Hill takes on. I think A.J. has a much bigger role this year in Buffalo than, than uh, Jeremy may have in New England. Lap, excellent stuff. You are now free to resume playing with your grandkids. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. And uh, it's, there's nothing like being a granddad. Just wait and see, Dan. Just wait and see. I, I hope I'm waiting a long time since <laughs> Sam Horde is 11. <laughs> now time for a new Fun Facts segment as we get to know the person under the pads. In this case, a recently signed free agent who was born in Cincinnati and is fired up to play for his hometown team. Time for some fun facts with Bengals linebacker Preston Brown, a Cincinnati native and somebody who is almost destined to be a Bengal, in my opinion, because your initials are PB, uh -huh. as in Paul Brown, Paul yeah. Brown Stadium. Your dad's name is Mike, mm -hmm. Mike Brown. And furthermore, you were a diehard Bengals fan growing up, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. And technically, my real name is Mike Brown as well, but my middle name is Preston, so that's gotcha. what I go by. <laughs> All right, so... 
if I'm doing the math correct, you would have been about 13 years old when Carson Palmer blew out his knee in that playoff game against uh-huh. the Steelers. Yeah. How devastated was young Preston Brown? Uh, pretty mad. I mean, throwing stuff at the TV, everybody <laughs> down in the basement going crazy because that was the year we were supposed to win the Super Bowl. I mean, everybody was feeling it. First play, long t- long pass. We were like, oh, yeah, here we go. Then you look back at the line of scrimmage, and he's laying there rolling around. I and mean, I still can see it pretty vividly, and it's, it's not good. <laughs> so you got the details down, so yeah. I know you're legit. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that one. That, that one was tough. There's a Chad Brown or Chad Johnson fathead in your basement still? Yeah, it's still down there. Uh, it's still down there next to the Marvin Lewis bobbleheads and the TJ Husmanzada, all of them up there. <laughs> all right, Preston, you come from a football background. Your dad played college football at Ball State. He was in training camp with the Denver Broncos. How early did the football bug bite you? Um, I think when I was like four, I wanted to start playing, but he wouldn't let me. So I started playing when I was six with Hilltop and uh, College Hill. Then uh, I think I tried to retire at age 10, but they talked me out of retirement. (laughs) Your dad told me that he had to carry your birth certificate around when you Mm -hmm. played games out of town because, you know, fans from other communities thought you were too old. Oh, yeah. I mean, every time we went down to Avondale or somewhere, they're saying, where's his birth certificate? Get the grown man off the field. I mean, (laughs) everywhere we went, that's how it was. And I was just – I was younger than most of them, but they always act like I was an old guy. We're doing fun facts with Preston Brown. I read at age six that you actually studied game film or video Mm. of your peewee games with your dad. He had you grading tape at Uh age six? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my mom would record it, and then we would sit down in the basement and just – critique what I was doing wrong and what I did right I mean it was for real film study with him I mean it was he just wanted me to get used to it so after that I would watch what he was coaching at Aiken or Woodward or Withrow I would sit down and watch his tape just trying to find any tendencies that I thought was something that was going on and somebody's stance looked a little weird I would tell him something I don't know if he was paying attention but I definitely picked up some stuff to help me out today we talked to some guys that really don't learn how to study the tape until they get to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that's something that you had a pretty early grasp of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just love learning about the opponent. I mean, I, I know everything. I mean, when you play the Bengals, I had everything written down about those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had anything you can think of, the Instagram name, how many kids they got, <laughs> what, they, what their major. I mean, I, knew, I want to know more just the player. I also read that when you were young, you and your dad would get up at like 5.30 in the morning and go for runs in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that true? And what were some of the other things that he had you do to develop your athleticism? Yeah, we would definitely run through those college neighborhoods at 5, 6 in the morning, people honking at us and stuff like that. I mean, it was just fun for me. It was never something that I, he was forcing me to do. I always say, hey, hey, Dad, can we go for a run? And he'd be like, all right, I'll be up at 5. And we just went for runs. And or we would do uh, drills after practice or just anything I felt I could get better by doing a little bit extra. So you went to Northwest High School, had a great career there. When you're a junior in high school, mm-hmm. UC goes to the Orange Bowl. When you're a senior in high school, UC goes to the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. You were all set to go to UC. Mm-hmm. And then Brian Kelly left for Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, Brian Kelly left me. Never heard from him again at Notre Dame. <laughs> Bush Jones came in. I went on a visit. It just didn't feel the same anymore. And then uh, I remember uh, Solomon Tenham from Roger Bacon said I was scared of competition. So I was scared to go there. So I ended up going to Louisville and tried to beat them every time. But it, it was definitely, it was fun. Well, you had a great career at Louisville. You went there at the same time as Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. You guys went to the Sugar Bowl and beat 
Florida. Um, sounds like, you know, that decision worked out as well as it possibly could have. Yeah, I think it was a good decision for me. I just saw the defense, what they had. I saw Brandon Spikes and the way they had linebackers at Florida and what they did to Cincinnati that game. I was like, well, I want to be a part of that. One more dad-related question. Mm -hmm. So you're at Louisville. He's teaching up in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I understand you guys would meet halfway between in a Burger King parking lot Uh to do drills. Yeah, uh, I mean, that was the only place where it was like a little grass area. We would go over there and do some drills or – put cones on the asphalt and just find a way to get better because that was the year I switched to Mike linebacker and he thought it was going to be different than playing outside on the line of scrimmage and things like that. So we did a lot of things just trying to make sure I come downhill and take on blocks or get out of a play action pass and just things that he felt I needed to do at the middle linebacker spot. So after a great career at Louisville, you were third round draft pick by the Buffalo Bills. Describe your draft experience. Uh, It was fun. I mean, I went around telling everybody I was going in the third round before I even was projected third round. I, like, I spoke it into existence, I think. Should have said first round. But, I mean, I said third round, and I was just happy when I got the call. I saw it was a New York number. I didn't know which New York team it was, but then I realized there's only really one team in New York. So <laughs> it was Buffalo. I mean, we was excited. We ran up and down the street and had a good time. You spent four years in Buffalo. Bills fans are crazy. They call it the Bills Mafia. Do you have a good Bills Mafia story? Oh, shoot. I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen videos, but I haven't seen it in person. I've seen them jumping off of tables, on <laughs> lit on fire tables, and throwing girls on tables. I mean, they all really involve something with a table. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking them in parking lots. So last year, you're part of that Buffalo team that ends the longest playoff drought in the four major sports. They hadn't gone for 17 years. And people there reacted like they had won the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, you could hear a big roar from the fans down in Miami. Everybody was going crazy. It was the locker room was going crazy, throwing water and everybody crying and stuff. I mean, it was it was a big moment for that city. A few more fun facts with Preston Brown. So you've signed with your hometown team as a free agent. Is it true that you could have taken more money elsewhere? Um, technically, I mean, longer deals and stuff like that would have been more money, but. I mean, I felt like this was the, the best situation for me. So it wasn't really about the money. I mean, no matter where I sign, it's going to be more money I've ever seen in my life. So I still get excited when we get per diem on the plane. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not really into spending all type of money like that. I just wanted to be where I could be happy. So this was the, the best spot for me. You live in downtown Cincinnati. You'll be within walking distance of Paul Brown Stadium. How do you like city life? Uh, it's fun. I mean, now that I work down here, it's even cooler. I mean, so, but I, I would just walk around different spots, just finding different things because there's so many different things in Cincinnati that people don't know are down here. I mean, I just showed my mom the Abraham Lincoln statue that she didn't know was down there. So there's a lot of stuff down here that people don't know about. Have you been on the streetcar? Uh, yeah, I've been on there a couple of times. Oh. I rode it around. I don't know if I paid for a ticket, but I was, I was on there. <laughs> Your secret's safe with, with me and everybody else listening to this interview. Uh, I've asked you several questions about your dad, Mm -hmm. but your mom's interesting too, Uh a certified NFL agent, correct? Yeah, Yeah, she gets 1.5%. So everybody, I got my dad a big TV just a couple days ago, and it was like, what'd you get your mom? I was like, well, she got 1.5%, so (laughs) she can get whatever she wants. (laughs) That's a very good answer. Uh, It's great to have you in Cincinnati. Look forward to watching you play. Best of luck, and thanks for the time. Thank you. That's Preston Brown. Published reports say that Brown's one-year contract with the Bengals was for $4 million. If my math is correct, 
1.5% of 4 million is 60,000 bucks. Not too shabby. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play and give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback's been very helpful and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. Thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.